Six minutes it is after 8 p.m. and it is indeed our thought leader segment uh, for this Thursday. And uh, we uh, try and I guess uh, uh, do what we should have done last week uh, were it not for uh, some of our lines uh, letting us down. And uh, that's to catch up with uh, Zimkita Zatu, who's the uh, CEO and director at Rail to Rail Transworks, which is a, a female-owned, uh, uh, or I should say a black uh, and uh, a female-owned and managed company uh, uh, looking into the uh, rail sector, and uh, they also manufacture railway sleepers and many other things. She also co-founded Zam Investment Properties, a 100% female-owned and managed uh, company, and uh, also has uh, a non-executive roles uh, at the National Film and Video Foundation at Sedebing uh, uh, Iron Ore Mine and uh, uh, also uh, working within uh, the space as a chartered accountant uh, through uh, many of Saika's development programs. And she joins us now uh, on the line. Zimkita, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Ayabonga. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and thank you so much for giving us your time once again uh, <laughs> after what happened last week. Let's maybe, I guess, start off uh, where we left off uh, uh, the last weekend. I mean, you were still uh, talking to us about, uh, you know, the journey behind your foray into the rail sector. Uh, mm-hmm. Prior to that, you've worked in many other roles, um, you know, at uh, some of the development uh, financing institutions and also uh, with the, some of the enterprise development initiatives that... Uh, uh, were undertaken by uh, one of the large commercial banks in South Africa. At what point uh, did you feel it important to go into business and uh, 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 going into the commercial space in the way that you did, why rail? Um, I think the the issue of commercial commercialized type of space came to me when I used to be at the IDC. And that's where I kind of understood business on a larger scale. And that's where I got my first bite into manufacturing. Mm. And after that, um, joining PPC, which is also a manufacturing business, I kind of got to understand the importance of that sector in the economy. And um, having gone to, to banking, um, uh, I kind of understood the challenges that most entrepreneurs have, especially black-owned businesses have, in trying to do a lot of the things that are, are regarded as important mm. um, and the challenges they face. And so... I kind of, you know, um, thought, how how could I meaningfully contribute um, as Zinkita into something that actually makes a difference in the economy? And rail is is quite is quite important in any development of any country, really, because you know logistics is is, is key to being competitive. Mm. So if you're not competitive, uh, you're not you know you're not gonna you're not gonna make it as a business and as a country actually. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I got into rail, um, and and I and I haven't looked back. Yeah, I mean let's let's talk about that space for a second. Certainly, okay. uh, my limited understanding of the space is that you know historically, I mean, one would think that there's all there's still those poor net uh, types and many of the older supplies that would have uh, uh, been the mainstay in this industry, historically a white and male-dominated industry. And one mm-hmm. would think that that, that that still remains the case in the space. Well, what were some of the challenges that you faced as you made a foray into that space uh, and also, uh, I guess, in the acquisition in particular now from Avenge? Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, how did that make your entry into the space easier or, I guess, uh, maybe alternatively also more difficult? It was. We've had a tough time. I'm not gonna lie. Um, the, the space is quite monopolized, um, and it's quite capital intensive as well. So you need to invest a lot in capital and access to funding as a business, as a, a new business like ours, as new entrants into the sector was quite challenging. 
And a lot of the banks would regard any exposure into public sector as quite being high risk. Mm. Now, the problem is that um, um, we've got 25,000-odd kilometers of network, and most of that is run by Transnet or Prasa. Mm. Um, So, I mean, they look at the public space and they say, ooh, you know, that's a bit risky for us. We all painted with the same brush. And I mean, forgetting that Transnet is actually profitable. Mm. Does that affect, um, I mean, the cost at which you're able to acquire the capital? Of course. I mean, yeah. Of course. So it was a, a big factor. And, and also they would need more, you know, collateral, which mm. we obviously don't have because we are new entrants. But I think um, um, I'd have to say Transnet has been quite supportive um, in, 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 in trying to elevate smaller uh, black-owned businesses and trying to open up the industry so that that those monopolistic kind of tendencies mm. disappear through their supply development sure. um, initiatives. Okay. So it was, I mean, it was it was difficult, but I'm hoping that um, for the next person it's not going to yeah, be. Yeah. Zinkita, I, I want us to pause here for a second because uh, we're going to have to take a quick spot break, but when we come back, I want us to talk about uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, the issue raising our own supply development, but also, uh, I mean, you mentioned the, the kilometers worth of our network. And uh, mm. the big question I'm asking, is that network geared enough uh, to the kind of structural transformation that our economy needs to undertake? It's our thought leader segment, and we're speaking to Zimkita Zatu. We continue on the other side. 12 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned in to our Thought Leader Thursday segment here on Metro FM Talk. And our Thought Leader on this Thursday is Zimkita Zatu. She's the CEO and Director at rail to rail Transworks and uh, speaking to us uh, about uh, some of the challenges and, of course, uh, the market structure questions within the rail sector, which is a critical uh, uh, connecting and network sector for many of our primary industries, uh, least of all our mining sector. And uh, if you also think about how uh, you know, uh, we're able to keep the lights on. Now, much of the coal that uh, feeds into those large power stations at ESCOM uh, happens to be uh, transported via rail. I mean, some of it, uh, if you think in the Northern Cape, some of the zinc uh, that uh, is, um, you know, exported through, um, uh, I think, Saldana Bay and uh, many other places in that neck of the woods, a lot of that happening through the rail sector. And uh, uh, critically, of course, some of our SOEs like Transnet playing a very, very crucial role in that space. Now, Zimkita, the other thing I want us to talk about is with that uh, strong historic role in transporting minerals from mines straight through to, uh, I guess, our ports and harbors uh, for export. Uh, you know, have, have we created a system uh, in terms of where the rail infrastructure is that really reinforces this dominant reliance on minerals? in our economy and uh, you know uh, if so uh, how do we think differently about uh, really the positioning of our rail sector to be able to support other sectors of the economy i'm thinking manufacturing i'm thinking you know the uh, tourism sector maybe in the in the space of passenger rail uh, but many other sectors that uh, probably if you think of them in relation to mining and how we generate our energy that are a bit more climate sensitive and uh, probably more ecologically uh, and less impactful on, on the environment. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on that? Sure, that's a loaded question. <laughs> so I think the first thing to note is that um, the network is, is really geared, and I suppose um, because of the history, it's geared towards um, transporting a lot of minerals um, out into the rest of the world. 
So the the network that Transnet runs, you've got the biggest, I think, is is, is the exposure to coal and iron ore, mm. which is um, the the Richards Bay and the Saldana that you mentioned. Also got some exposure to just general freight, um, and so that is, I think, that is really just because of historical construct where most of the the zinc and the iron ores and the coal are being exported, um, and from an efficiency point of view, rail in terms of transporting such large um, millions of tons um, has been found to be the most affordable and the most um, efficient in terms of emissions um, to do that. So economies such as Australia and the US have large networks geared especially to do this. Mm. Um, And in the value chain of rail itself, you've got quite a lot of, there's a lot of services and manufacturing that supports that. Um, so um, um, the, 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 you need you kind of need the base, and then you need the value chain to also play its part. So um, rail is quite important in terms of supporting and making sure that you've got um, an efficient manufacturing chain mm. that is able to support, and a services chain that's able to support it. And there's also an IT element and a technology element that goes into rail that people may not realize because um, where rail is going, you've got fiber that runs along those rail lines. Mm. And there's opportunities for Transnet to use the 22,000 kilometers that it operates to be able to to, to get another revenue stream um, through, through technology. Mm. So, so how would that work? I mean, would, um, you know, ISPs and telcos piggyback on the existing fiber infrastructure that's linked to, uh, to Transnet's rail, rail network? Correct. So it would run along the rail system, and they've started that already. Um, it's just not at the scale that it needs to be. So they, uh, Transnet could sell that to telcos, could sell that to communities. And um, the impact, I think, because some of the, 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 the places that Transnet touches, nobody else goes there. Mm. They are really literally... Correct. They are in the middle of nowhere. So there's opportunities um for those communities to be connected to the rest of the world through using technology and rail to be able to access the rest of the world and opportunities as well. Mm. And of course I, I would think that that presents opportunities for yourselves. I mean you you know, you guys uh, um provide maintenance, you uh, mm. put together sleepers uh, and all manner of other things uh, in support of uh, uh, Transnet's uh, 22,000 kilometers worth of uh, rail networks. Uh, I mean, w- what opportunities operationally would these uh, present for yourselves? So uh, we've looked into, um, when we acquired Avenged Rail, it's really been, it used to be just a hard infrastructure maintenance business. So where you grind tracks, you replace sleepers, you know, the ballast, got those little stones on the side, you yes, clean them, yes. you screen them. So it's been that kind of business. But since we acquired it, we, we introduced a lot of smart rail thinking. And that is where um, we're speaking to Transnet uh, quite actively in terms of trying to um, get into intelligent signaling with them. Because mm. um, signaling is a, is a big thing for Transnet and for Prasa. Um, and trying to see how we introduce technology which we think is the next level where rail, I mean, some people have started China, I've started to have self-driving trains. Okay, maybe we're not there yet, but <laughs> at some point we might get there um, and and trying to see how they can use their existing system and add 
um, some smart rail technology um, options to it. Mm-hmm. And what is the pause here for a second? And uh, um, if you could give us a few more minutes of your time after the break, uh, I want us to touch on some of the other sectors where uh, you would have line of sight over. And uh, one of those is the creative economy. And we're going to be picking up a conversation just after half past uh, with the uh, Cultural Observatory all the way out in the Eastern Cape. And uh, and they're talking about the massive impact that uh, the uh, cultural and creative industries have had on the South African economy. You sit on the uh, uh, board of the National Film uh, and Video Foundation. And you would certainly be funding a lot of the material that's coming out of South Africa, some of the stuff we'd see on, on Netflix and uh, even at the box office. And I wanted to maybe talk about some of the challenges uh, that have been brought about that are common and maybe different in that space of the economy and uh, how we can maybe think of things innovatively uh, in that segment as well. And uh, we'll continue on the other side of this brief break. I'm in conversation with our thought leader for our Thought Leader Thursday segment, and her name is Zimkita Zatu. 21 minutes it is after 8 p.m. It's our Thought Leader Thursday segment and our Thought Leader on this Thursday is Zimkita Zatu and uh, uh, we're talking uh, about rail and uh, we shift our attention now to the creative economy and uh, Zimkita you know if uh, if any of our listeners have worked on a film set uh, they'd certainly know how many uh, activities and economic I guess sectors contribute to putting together production that one would sit on their couch and maybe watch uh, over a 15 minutes to 120 minutes or so uh, that being said, I mean, have we done enough as a country to really leverage all of the beautiful places that we have in this country as potential sets, but also uh, all of the uh, really good human capability that we have uh, on the production side of things to, to really leverage uh, film tourism and even uh, the production of local films uh, as, a, as an economic investment? I think there's a lot of work that has gone to trying to see how the be competitive in terms of the the tourism attractions that we have and making sure that when anybody in the world wants to shoot a movie, they can come to South Africa. Um, the DTI has significant incentives in this regard. So I think that work is ongoing. It's just that I think there's, um, there's always maybe a disconnect between, you know, what um, one department is doing and what the other is trying to to push but there is a lot of work that's gone into trying to make us competitive from a from a shooting point of view human capabilities our technical uh, skills as a country are unmatched when you look at um when you look at um um, the rest of the continent uh the quality that comes out of the production has been always been impeccable uh, one can argue that at some times we might we might um, concentrate on that and then uh, we end up having expensive movies as opposed to, for example, in Nigeria that um, can shoot a movie on a phone or mm. and and 20,000 rands later they've got a movie whereas ours, you know, we, we pride ourselves on, on, on being technically, you know, um, quite, quite advanced. So t- in terms of human capability, our skills in that sector are quite are quite significant. Mm-hmm. World class. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other dimension, uh, Zimkita, now that we find ourselves in COVID, is about how you distribute some of this content. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think you, you might find yourselves in a situation now where you've got uh, a few movies coming through in the pipeline that are maybe in post-production at the moment, uh, where, you know, the prospect of just going to a cinema, I don't think uh, a lot of consumers are going to be contemplating mm-hmm. that anytime soon. 
Uh, what are some of the alternative distribution channels that you've considered? Uh, because uh, one would think that the internet really, really gives us uh, a way to leapfrog some of these things and bring content closer to where people are without all of us having to go to the box office to buy tickets and sit in a cinema. Yeah, I think it's actually presented a, a good opportunity for us because distribution in South Africa has been a challenge um, because we've got a new metro and a stake in a core. Mm. And that's about it. Um, and um, we haven't really been flexible in how we distribute uh, some of the content. Um, for example, I go back again to Nigeria. They don't have uh, those distributors. They just go straight to DVD, get a DVD for five rand on the street, mm. and it's done. Um, and and so this has presented an opportunity for us because we've never really quite, um, you know, supported that kind of monopolistic again type of distribution. So this has given us the opportunity to think outside the box in terms of how we distribute. One of the things that we've talked about, um, we've, we've talked about as NFCS, is to try and and set up um, a portal. Um, where producers can um, distribute some of their content around the world. So that has been in the works for a while. Um, so we, we, we set it up, um, we negotiate with the producers, and and someone can log in and uh, buy some time to watch the movie and so forth. Uh, we've looked at, um, recently we've looked at, maybe going back to, um, what, what were they called when you go in a car, sit in a car and watch, and watch uh, those what? drive-in cinemas, yeah, yeah. Drive-in <laughs> rooftop-type cinemas, yeah. Correct, mm. correct. We've talked about that um, and, and finding young entrepreneurs that can maybe revive that kind of a sector because from a safety point of view, uh, because of the challenges that we're having now, that's a, that's, a, that's a bit safer than, you know, going to a cinema because you get to sit in your car. Um, we've, 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 um, we've looked at um, other platforms. So we normally find... Um, just normal feature films. Now we're looking at finding shorter films um, that can be distributed to your Netflix and so forth. So we it has it has while it has been difficult for uh, the producers and some of the people that are involved in in film, um, there are definitely opportunities to try and see how we can break down some of these walls in terms of getting the content distributed. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I guess maybe then the last question is, you know, w- when we think about institutions like that, uh, you know, I was talking about the land bank uh, and uh, talking to some folk yesterday on, on this platform. And, uh, you know, if I add to that the, the slew of bad news that comes through from the likes of Denel and many of our other institutions that are finding themselves against the ropes, if, if I can use that uh, a turn of phrase from the world of boxing. Uh, but, uh, I mean, from where you're sitting, having worked at the IDC, you also sit on the board of SAFCOL as well, which is a very interesting, uh, you know, uh, SOE in the forestry space. And maybe one of these days uh, here on Metro FM Talk, we want to talk to that. But uh, what are some of the real challenges that you're seeing in that landscape uh, with where we are now with, uh, you know, the onset of a medical and a financial crisis? Uh, And uh, so on the one end, yes, the challenges, but then on the other, uh, I would also think that there are some opportunities as well. Um, I think the challenges are well known and well well articulated and documented. Um, there's challenges of efficiency, there's challenges of leakage, uh, whether you call it corruption or whatever you want to call it. Mm. I think those are well well, well known. Uh, but I think, and I mean, certainly in my in my experience in in the the limited SOEs that 
I've been involved in, there's a lot of skill mm. in these SOEs. Um, there's a lot of, you know, human capital and there's a lot of people that actually do know what they're doing. Um, and and once that's used correctly to try and, because, you know, take our business, the real business, where it's not for the support that we get from Transnet and um, and them forcing us sometimes to say, no, but you must use, when you go to uh, um, an area like this, you must use local labor, this percentage of local labor. Mm. You know, those kind of things. So that's the power of having an SOE that they can force and they can they can really try and change the landscape um, economically. Um, that's the power that they have. Mm. And um, I guess in some cases, private players, you know, either it's not in their interest or even in their sort of realm of considerations to even prompt something like that. Correct, and that's that's the role of an SOE. But they also need to be sustainable in order to do that. Mm. And 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 sometimes that um, you know people always say, do they have a commercial mandate? Some of them, or do they have a developmental mandate? You can have both, uh, um, really. But the thing is that you need to be efficient. You need to be sustainable as well. So they've got, you know, they've got that opportunity to really try and transform this economy um, if the leadership is there. Zimkita mm. Zatu, thank you very much for your time. Siabulela uh, Gakulu for taking time out uh, to join us. Ubuchilo last week, bang, mama gazimi. Ubuchilo gazimi, and uh, thank you very much uh, for taking time out to speak to us. Thank you, Ayawaka. That is uh, Zimkita Zatu, uh, uh, the uh, CEO and director at Rail to Rail, speaking to us this evening as our thought leader on this Thursday. We're going to